Is there a heaven? Yes. How do you know that? You don't. Yeah. Yeah. I hope it all makes sense to ball like this, the larger dress Ain't nothing stopping me but parking fees Many hands settle down If you don't ever get yourself straight Who the fuck is you gon' help me? I pray for many Thanksgivings I pray that Tifa don't cook You know her mama put chicken in their greens That's that shit I never seen before Bucket list, scratching off some shit you never dreamed before Sparkle up your pinky toe Hey baby, I have no read to stay, baby. My dream too big for this city. In Myrtle Beach ain't vacation. I can't go far as Nevada. See, I only seen Vegas. If not, these niggas, bitch, your senses betray ya. I need a day of two hoes plotting on my cellular phone. I'm on speed dial. I'm your favorite problem, your beach. Smoke the meanwhile. Waiting, got my tolerance deep. But that Stephen Kirk arm reach. Long week, always What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Voices Gallery Place podcast. Brandon and Dom are back on the show, and this is going to be our last episode for season two. We're going to finish up our uh, season reviews, but we're going to do the veteran players today. We're not going to do all of them, but we're going to do them for the guys that are under contract or guys that are free agents and we're at least partially interested in bringing back. And then at the end, we're going to do some Tommy Shepard as well. But before we get into that, I figured we'd open up with some playoff stuff. Uh, the Pelicans are down, I think, 3-2 to two to the Suns right now. The Brooklyn Nets got swept. Uh, Memphis and Minnesota has been as advertised. And I think that's about it. That's interesting. But what's been your thoughts on these playoffs so far? Yeah, it's just watching... Um... You know, I had an opportunity to be in New Orleans and watch the the game four Pelicans versus Suns, and you know, watching how they defend and watching uh, just how these teams that defended all regular season are kind of just bullying, bullying these finesse teams now in the playoffs. It's just uh, I don't know. I feel like it's a, it's it's a lesson. It's it's a message and a lesson for the Wizards front office uh, this coming off season. Like they have to really. Uh, take that side of the ball serious and you're seeing in these playoffs like the teams that that take that side of the ball serious i mean they're winning games they're they're moving on so um you know just the the heat what they've been able to do to, to the hawks trey young like i mean you know i joked on twitter i said they turned trey young into spencer dinwiddie like he's shooting like 30 percent from the field <laughs> below 20 percent from three you know, a lot of turnovers. Um, you know, so when you 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 getting that type of offensive production from a guy who already doesn't defend, it's just like it kills you. And the Hawks don't really have another guy to kind of take the pressure off offensively. So you know, they're done. Um, and then you look at you know what the the Celtics were able to do to Kevin Durant and Kyrie. Um, just completely suffocated them, man. No no weak link on that defensive end, not one. Um, even without Robert Williams. So, uh, yeah, I think, you know, there's a message here. Like I said, the, the Wizards got to get serious about that other side of the ball. And I hope I hope this upcoming draft and offseason is, uh, you know, they show some evidence of that. Yeah. And I, I tweeted out the other day and, you know, I said that the Celtics have dealt their injuries throughout the season. They had a rookie head coach. Like, there, we got to stop throwing excuses out for the Wizards, and that and that wasn't meant to go toward 
a a talent perspective, I, I mean, clearly the, the Celtics have a more talented roster than the Wizards, but my point was more from a, a management roster move standpoint where Tommy throws out all these excuses and doesn't really acknowledge like his own faults and not bringing in the right type of guys and without realizing that other teams in the league are, are going through the same thing. And it's starting to get to that point where his message is kind of going in one ear and out the other, because if we don't win this year, I mean, there's going to be people calling for his job probably. So, um, yeah. and you know, we'll, we'll get to him at the end, but also Utah is, I, I understand Luca's pretty good, but man, it, it's, it's, it seems like, I don't know who else has been carrying them. I mean, I know Brunson is solid and Dorian Finney-Smith is solid, but other than that, it just seems like, I thought the Jazz were going to pack them up in like five or six games max. I, I, I don't know what's happened with them. I mean, uh, Brunson is good. He's not this good. Um, like he's not thirty-five points per game. Good. Oh, like, he's earning his money right now. You know, he he's he's. I think he's benefiting going up against. You know, f- as far as the point of attack defense and wing defense, the Jazz are probably one of the worst teams in the playoffs right now. And there was evidence of this, of this towards the back end of the regular season. I mean, they went from you know, top three defense to like bottom three when Rudy Gobert got hurt and, you know, they got exposed, you know, with no Joe Ingles when Joe Ingles went down, like their wings just kind of, it seemed like their wings kind of just aged overnight. Um, Mike Conley, not really the same defensively. Uh, Royce O'Neal, not the same. Bojan, I mean, they're kind of just getting cooked up on the perimeter and we know Spider is not a defender. So, uh, you know, they, they're just kind of getting exposed. You know, the dribble penetration is just – and then they're they're taking Rudy Gobert out the game because they're backscreening him. And so he ain't even there at the rim. Like, he's a non-factor. Uh, so, yeah, Luka's just picking them apart. Like, it's, it's just like taking candy from a baby, man. I, I think at some point they're probably going to blow that team up. So at the beginning of the season, I had Warriors-Bucks finals. You had Lakers-Bucks. I know that obviously the Lakers are out of it, but – before the playoffs started, how did you kind of see how did you kind of see it playing out? Like at minimum, who did you have going to the conference finals, and who did you have going to the NBA finals? So I believe I had I had Bucks versus Nets was my conference finals in the East pit, and mm-hmm. I obviously I had the Bucks going to the finals, and then the West I had I think I had Lakers Suns leave, and then I had the Lakers knocking them off to get to the to the uh to the finals but obviously lakers nets totally bombed out um the suns i don't know man like they you know they i don't think it's a guarantee they even get to the damn conference finals at this point anymore um with some of their injury issues and and just how they've looked i mean they count they bounced back last night to get the victory but i don't think game six is going to be a shoo-in for them back in new orleans so uh, it's gonna be interesting, man. But the, the Warriors look amazing. Like, you know, it's just it's just funny how they're able to always um, recoup talent. Like, it don't matter. Like, you would thought, you know, there were people that were saying, you know, they don't, they're they're done, their dynasty is over once they lost KD. And it's like they find Jordan Poole. Um, Wiseman is kind of looking like a bad pick, but Kaminga looks like a great pick. 
So <laughs> it's like they just seem to never miss a beat, man. So um, props to them in that front office because they know what the hell they're doing. And before the playoffs started, once you knew what all the seeds were going to be, did you do a bracket? Like, did, did you have a new prediction on who was going to the conference finals and uh, NBA finals at all? No, I just, I, I just had it. I still had the Bucks. I never moved off the Bucks, um, and then I just replaced Lakers with with Suns just because you know <laughs> that was who I thought was the next best team. Um, sure. You know, so sure. uh, yeah, so I, I would have it there. Still there, but the Suns look a little shaky. I still, I still believe in the Bucks, even though now they they kind of going through some injuries with with Middleton. But I, I just think the Bucks did their cohesion, man. Like you know, it, 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 you can't you can't put value on that. Uh, you know, even though the Celtics look look freaking amazing. Yeah, for this first round here, I had Miami over Atlanta, Philly over Toronto, uh, Milwaukee over Chicago. I did have Brooklyn beating Boston, um, so wrong there. I had the Suns over the Pelicans. I had the Jazz over the Mavericks, going to be wrong there. Um, Warriors over the Nuggets, and then I did pick the Timberwolves over the Grizzlies. Um, I, you know me, I'm a big Anthony Edwards guy, and I think flat out at the top, I, I know John Morant's a player, but I think they have more top-end talent, the Timberwolves, and I'm a big D'Angelo Russell fan as well. So I, I, I thought that they would win that series in seven, but obviously that can still happen, but I got a feeling the Grizzlies are going to pack them up here in game six, unfortunately. Um, but moving on to some wizard stuff now. So season in review for the veterans. We'll start off with the, the least relevant, and we'll kind of work our way up. Let's start with... Anthony Gill. Um, there really isn't too much to touch on here. I mean, Anthony Gill is just a, a solid, solid player who I would like to see back. I know the last time we signed him, we used um, part of the biannual exception to sign him, and I don't know if we get that this year. I forget when we had that last, but if we do have that this, this offseason, I would love to use part of that again to bring him back. I mean, he's just a solid 11, 12, 13 man, you know, guy at the end of your bench. He'll give you solid minutes whenever he's in. Um, I know that we've kind of, well, at least I've flirted with the idea of having him as the backup for, if you want to trade a Rui or a Denny or Kuzma somewhere in there. Um, you know, I think I like him better as his role as kind of a, uh, break a you know, break glass in case of emergency kind of guy but overall i mean again not really a whole lot to touch on i mean he's he he's just a solid player i really don't know what else to say about him yeah like i mean since he's been here i've just always said he just never hurts you like he you know he's not a, obviously he's not a star he's not a starter he's not a guy that's going to carry you or anything like that but he just doesn't hurt you he just he just out there he does his, his job he he doesn't uh, get beat much defensively. He he makes open shots. And he just he just plays his role, man. Um, and I, from everything I heard about him off the floor, he works his ass off. So um, I think those are the type of guys. He's kind of like to me. He's kind of like a power forward version of Garrett Temple. Like just a good dude, does his job, never hurts you when he's on the floor. Um, and you're right. I do think he could be. A plug-in backup power forward if you decide to move off of a Rui or Kuzma or whoever uh, on the roster. So I, I wouldn't mind bringing him back for the minimum 
and just locking them up, man. It's a good dude to have in your locker room and on the team. Ish Smith is a guy that I'm actually quite a bit of a fan of. I think he's going to be almost making, I think he's around five and a half, maybe three quarters away to six mil. So I think he's like, it's like 5.75 mil or something like that for his option for this offseason. It is a, a team option. The Wizards can choose not to guarantee his money and we will owe him nothing. At that amount of money, I would say that if you if you if you draft one, for example, and you you re-sign Sadoransky, and you were to sign another point guard, like say go the Corey Joseph route, someone who can play a little bit more defense, it it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to guarantee that tier player that tier money because I feel like he's definitely worth a veteran minimum contract. Now look, they can always not guarantee his option and then re-sign him for the vet minimum. And then I think that that's a, a little bit more reasonable because I don't know who else at this point is going to be throwing him that kind of dough. I think Charlotte was just kind of desperate to find LaMelo a backup. And look, that didn't work out the the way that they all wanted it to. And since then, I think Charlotte's realized maybe they didn't need to allocate that sort of money to a guy like that. Um, but but I do like Ishmith. I think that he's a true point guard. He's a great passer of the basketball, crafty around the rim. Um, I, I'd like him to be back, but not at that amount. Yeah, I, it just depends on what they do in the draft, right? You know, exactly. what, what direction they go. Um, but I, I just just for me, just from a team building standpoint, if you're if you're building a Brown Bradley Beal, who's a six for three two guard, like. I feel like you need a bigger point guard rotation. Um, mm-hmm. And so for me, Ish Smith doesn't really fit that. That's why I've always kind of threw out the DeLon Wrights. You know, Sato fits that. Uh, you know, DeAnthony Melton, who's 6'3". Uh, even even Corey Joseph, who I believe is 6'2", 6'3". Um, yeah. You got to get some size there, man, because the point of attack defense, I, even at the backup point guard spot, I don't want a guy – that when you put him in the game, the opponent is hunting that player on defense. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I mean, if, if that's the last resort and you don't really have no other options, sure, bring him back, but I would be looking to move on. Thomas Sadoransky had um, a very solid, I, I thought, return to this team. I thought he did what uh, we, we've been pretty much asking out of the point guard position for a long time, and it sucks we didn't really get to see that with uh, Kuzma, especially not Beal. But w- they've played together before. I don't think that would be a huge issue. I mean, Sadoransky truly is a guy that's like, I'm just out here to play basketball. If you guys want to score, you know, go ahead. I'm just going to play defense here and there, move off ball, shoot when I get my shots, you know. Um, it doesn't, th- there seems to be no agenda-driven basketball with Sadoransky, and I think that that's something that you need to have at the point guard position agenda, but I mean, you know damn well KP, Kuzma, and Beal are going to get their shots, so you you need someone who's going to sort of facilitate for them and and not want to take too much sign with uh, uh, taking up the shot clock and you know, all the stuff that Dinwiddie would do, we certainly don't need a a high usage guy, in my opinion. I know, again, I, I like I mentioned with um, Gil, you know, flirting with bringing them back to be backup. I mean, we, I flirted with the idea of Sadoransky being the starting point guard on this team. Um, and I, I wouldn't hate it if they choose to sign him for a low contract, then use the rest of the MLE to 
go and get a legit three and D wing. Now I don't know who that'll be, or maybe you can split it up into two guys who can sort of compete with Denny Rui, maybe find Beal a backup if you don't get one in the draft. Um, but I think that's kind of how I would go about it. If you're telling me that we weren't trading for a point guard now, I think they're going to, and then, you know, you bring Sadoransky back as a backup uh, in that case, maybe you draft one. And then if the young guy isn't ready, you play Sadoransky. And if he seems to be a little bit ahead of schedule, then you go ahead and just let Sadoransky sit on the bench. I mean, he'll be making a low contract. It won't matter anyway, but um, overall Sadoransky is solid, you know, can, can guard multiple positions, six, seven, a little sneaky athleticism in him. Good passer of the basketball, good off ball mover. I mean, that's the kind of guy that we're looking for, I think. Yeah. I mean, he's just, you know, he's just a solid player. Like he just, his floor game, he's, he's looking to pass first, second and third. Um, I think, for me to kind of be convinced that he's a guy you bring back as a starter next year, he's got to be able to make shots. He's got to be a threat on offense. Yeah, it can't be him, uh, you know, turning down open shots to try to force a pass. Like he, he can't be hot potato with it. You know, he has to be an option on offense. Those teams are going to, you know, you're seeing it in the playoffs. Like they're going to load up, hypothetically speaking, say the Wizards get to the playoffs, they're going to load up on Bradley Beal and they're going to force somebody else to beat him. And you have to have a threat next to him. Um, so that's kind of my only concern with him, but from a, from a passing and defending standpoint, I like what he brings to the table. So they need that. So I would definitely try to bring him back as the backup point guard option. Yeah. I mean, I agree. Um, that that's probably the ideal role for him. I think that he'd be a guy that can set your bench up a little bit better. And, and we know that with his skill set, if, if something happens to the starter and you need him to start for a little bit, um, I, I don't think there would be much hesitation with that, but I still am not against the idea of signing him. If you're telling me that we can make significant, maybe not, I don't know if significance, the word you want to use, but if we can make upgrades on the wing, at least get some more shooters and defenders on the roster. I mean, I'm all for that. It's just about allocation of resources for me at this point. And I know that they're going to trade some package to, to bring a point guard in here. And I, and I hope they don't trade two of the young guys for him, but I got a feeling that's just sort of the route that they're going to kind of go in. But again, we'll, we'll get into Tommy here in a little bit. Uh, KCP had about one of the most worst starts. I think you could have as a wizard in terms of fan criticism. I mean, people were on this guy's case every day. He's too small. He dribbles too much. Um, wasn't making shots, even though he was consistently our, um, our best three-point shooter throughout the season. Uh, he is a little undersized at the three. Though I, I mean, I think we all get that. But I think you get some off-dribble stuff, too. And, and look, he's not the, the, the best. Like, he's not Jason Tatum or Kevin Durant off the bounce. But I think he gives you a little bit of stuff off the bounce that, you know, a typical two-guard may give you that you may not see from some threes. And we saw through um, to end the season, he was getting a little bit more comfortable with his off-bounce shooting and uh, uh, pull-ups and stuff like that. And, and they were going in at a decent clip, I feel like. Um, but look, I mean, this is a guy that I think, in my opinion, unless he's a part of a trade, if he's on this roster next season, he's going to be the starter. Uh, and I think that you could do a lot worse th than him. Um, but overall, I mean, I'd, I'd say that he, he had a pretty solid season, all things considered. Again, you know, there's some things he does that drive you crazy, but um, I mean, you're going to have that with, a lot of guys on a lot of teams, you know, you just got to give me more good than bad. 
And I feel like as the season got went on, that we definitely saw a lot less of the bad and a lot more of the good with him. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I think he was, I think early on for him, I think where a lot of the criticism came from was just that he was so volatile. Like he would go, you know, he'll shoot four for six from three one game, and then the next game he'll go, you know, one for seven. And it's just like, you know, can you make just two or three threes every game? without being so, you know, up and down. And he kind of became that more consistent player as uh, as the season waned on. Um, but, yeah, I, I think, like you say, you know, he's, he's best friends with Beal. Um, I don't think he comes here if it was just on a one- or two-year rental. And, you know, uh, I think he's the starter. Like, I think he's probably going to be the starter at small forward next year. Uh, I think Tommy is probably going to be more focused on addressing that point guard spot than trying to find another starter at small forward. But uh, it's, it's funny I, though, I, don't, I, I don't agree with that, but, you know, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know either. probably what he's going to do. I don't either, because I, I think KCP is more of a backup, too, than he is a starting small forward. But then you have Bradley Beal as your starting, too. So mm-hmm. um, it's, it's just odd. So and, and maybe, you know, maybe the best route is to trade him so that, you know, it kind of takes you out of that you know, it kind of balances your roster out a little bit better um, and you get some more size and athleticism on the floor. Because I like KCP, what he does. I just think, again, he's a backup too and you, you, you're you going to be playing Bradley Beal 35 minutes a night. So why would you then pay $14 million a year to a backup two guard? Um, they just, I, I just don't know. So the only way to really get the use of him, the value for what you're paying him is to start him. But then I just think he gives up a lot of size at that wing spot. And defensively, they, we, we got to address it. Like, it, it has to, they have to get better defensively. And I think KCP is a part of that equation. It is worth noting that uh, the Wizards can <clears throat> uh, not guarantee KCP's contract for this year, and it would save them about $9 million. Um, I think he would be guaranteed five something if the wizards decided to release him i think that he is a likely piece to be considered a salary filler in a trade just because the team can trade for him and then decide from there whether or not they want to keep him on the roster if they don't want to keep him well it seems nine million maybe you can um bring in like a project guy that hasn't worked out on another team like say if you're the pacers and you trade for kcp you give us brogdon um, something like that, you know, you, you may say, Hey, you know, Tyrese could use a guy like this next to him in the backcourt, or you could say, Hey, you know, um, we traded for you. We did our roster evaluation. You know, we already have buddy healed or whatever. We don't really need another one of you. Um, so we're just going to go ahead and cut you, let you sign with a contender. So I, I think that the, the fact that his contract is not fully guaranteed makes him an attractive piece in trade talks. And obviously the same thing with this Smith, you know, the, uh, Ish can be included in a trade if the team that he gets traded to can't find another point, a backup point guard in free agency. They may just say, okay, well, now we have this guy. If you find someone, well, you can release him and it's no problem. So um, those are the two guys I would be looking to, I would be looking out for in terms of including them in trades. Uh, the, the next guy, Kyle Kuzma. Kuzma had a pretty good year, I'd say. Uh, at the beginning, it was kind of weird because it was just like they were using him kind of as a, a corner spot shooter. And to his credit, I mean, he hit a lot of them, especially in, in the clutch. Uh, he did shoot average from three this year. So this is why I don't really want them to go and 
bring another high usage point guard in because you would be shoving him back in the corner. And as we saw, I mean, when he has the ball in his hands, he can be a, a pretty creative and effective player. He's a solid playmaker, decent score. He thinks he's Kobe Bryant sometimes. Um, and, you know, I mean, that just comes, I think, with uh, the, him teaching him and being under his wing for a little bit. You know, he's, he's trying to build his legend. And, you know, again, as long as you give me more good than bad, um, I don't have a problem with you trying to do that stuff every once in a while. But, I mean, really good rebounder. I think that's something that we were wondering who's going to fill that void. And I remember talking about it last offseason when um, we originally traded Westbrook. Like, well, who's going to rebound for us? And it seems like he's kind of filled that void quite nicely. Um, that being said, if they wanted to include him in some sort of package to get us an improvement, um, I'm not, I'm not against it, but I would like to see them keep the guys already in house, keep things consistent. That's how you get better, but you need to have some guys that can play defense And the top three guys on the roster. here, We're going to get to the other two in a second, but they just don't really seem to play defense. And I just wonder, can you get away with that? If all three of, your main guys on your roster can't play defense, but uh, I'll give it to you now for Kuzma. Yeah, so um, I did, I thought it was interesting him him posting the, the point forward uh, picture the other day. I think it was yesterday. Called um, it because I I actually like that role for him. I you know I was just kind of rambling one day, you know, looking at the uh, the old Lakers championship mob, and I really feel like. Kuzma can embrace that Lamar Odom role, um, whether that be as a starter or off the bench, but just kind of that do-it-all guy that, you know, is just like a Swiss Army knife um, at 6'10", where KP would kind of slide in as the Pau Gasol, and obviously Bill would have to be Kobe. Now, we know we're, he's nowhere near Kobe, but just as far as, I'm just saying as far as like role, as defining roles on the team. Um, and then everybody else kind of has to just be defenders and dogs. Um, and so, yeah, I, I like the idea of, of having him here because, you know, it's not often you come across guys that's 6'10 with his versatility. And I think that's something they should lean into. They should lean into their size. Like, I'm tired of the Wizards kind of playing small, you know, across the board and being exploited defensively for it. Like, you have some big guys on the roster. I think they should embrace it and make it a part of their defensive identity. Um, I think Kuzma can be better defensively, uh, but I don't think it's because he's a bad defender. Like, I, I don't think he, like some, some guys just don't have the feet, right? Like they don't have the tools to be good defenders. Like a Corey Kisper is probably never going to be a great defender. Um, but I don't think that's the case with, with Kuzma. I think we've seen him play defense. He played it on a championship level with the Lakers. But I think the parts around him, the scheme around him has to elevate. And then you'll see the better version of him on that end of the ball. Um, and maybe some role definement before the season starts will help with that. But I I like the idea of him coming back and being a starting power forward. But again, like you said, if there's a deal that comes up where you can get an upgrade um, or some more balance on the roster, you have to consider it. I mean, that's you, you have to. That's Tommy's job. But I wouldn't I wouldn't consider Malcolm Brogdon that. No, uh, me neither. So, yeah, and I'll leave it at that. 
<laughs> like, if you were going to trade Kuzma, it would have to be for, like, a, a DeJounte Murray, a Shea Gilgis Alexander type player. Like, you're not selling me trading that type of production on $13 million for Malcolm Brogdon or um, who else makes an, an extreme amount of money that they shouldn't be paid? Uh, who else have we talked about? I don't, I don't know. Cal Lowry or something. I don't know. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> like I'm not doing that. Like Mike no, Conley. Yeah. Like no. That's not no. At their age and the money they make, no, not doing it. Um, Kuzma's 26. He makes only what 13 million a year. Um, he's 6'10. So you're telling me I got to get older, shorter, and slower? Uh, <laughs> no, nah, I'm not doing. It. And more expensive, trading him off for somebody like that? No, nah, I'm not doing it. Um. And again, yeah, if, if DeJounte Murray on the table and I can add two picks and, and maybe some other filler, yeah, see ya. But uh, other than that, he, he's going to be on this roster, I believe. Chris Epps-Porzingis is a guy that we basically spent nothing to get, surprisingly. I, I don't know how he managed to, how Tommy managed to pull that off, but he was here, and he looked like one of the most skilled big men in the NBA. I mean, that's... Pretty much what we saw his entire time. You know, his three-point shooting was a little underwhelming, but I think the fact that he is a, a threat to space the floor is promising. I would have liked to see them put him a little bit more on the uh, on on the block to see maybe if he could score a little bit down there, but they're pretty hell-bent on using him in that high post area, which is a good area to use him. You know, depending on the mismatch, he can take some guys off bounce. Um, he, he'll draw a lot of fouls, which is... Uh, one thing that we saw pretty much right away. And one thing I'm kind of intrigued by is now that they have a piece like him and we know that they were looking for a Jokic type guy, maybe do they run the offense more through Porzingis than they do Beal? I think that's an underrated concept and uh, approach to look for as we get closer to next season. But th- there is the, still the injury concern. Now, he did stay healthy once he finally got to play, but... Um, I think that you know Wizards fans say, "Oh well, he's been healthy the entire time," and, and that's not true because as soon as we got him, um, he missed games. Now, whether he was actually able to play those games, and the organization was just trying to protect him, you know, we don't know exactly uh, the situation with that. But it is still a concern going forward. And I would say this: it didn't acquire much to get him. If there is some trade that we are not seeing. So where they could attach him and you bring in like a legit like superstar all-star type player that maybe a team is looking to get off of. And I'm not going to throw around names or anything, but I think that that's I think that's something that could be considered as well. Now, if you ask me today, gun to my head, I mean, Porzingis is going to be on the roster next year. I mean, his per 36 stats were insane. If he was healthy, I mean, this is a guy... You don't consider trading in general. But fact of the matter is, is that he still has this sort of injury reputation with him. And I think that in a sense, it leaves it open for him to be discussed and trained again. You're not trading him for two role players in a first round pick. But if if there is some sort of superstar, all-star level player that we are not seeing, that maybe a, a team that disappointed in the playoffs is upset, or maybe a team that didn't make the playoffs and they're upset. Maybe that's something that you consider as well to try and bring something more 
reliable in terms of a health standpoint to bring onto the team. But this isn't meant to be negative about Chris Stapps because I thought since his very first game, I mean, I, I was nothing but impressed. He had a couple bad games where I wish he, I wish he kind of would have stopped shooting. Um, but I would rather him do it when you consider what else he was playing with. So, I mean, you can't really complain too much about Porzingis's time here um, this past season. I mean, I thought it was I thought it was exceptional. I thought it was great. Yeah, I, I think you know, I, I think they're using him the way he wants to be used, which is that mid to high post face up center. Um, I never felt like he was like a back to the basket player, like a Jokic or an Embiid. He's just not. He don't have that type of size to him or game. Like he's not a right right shoulder, left shoulder hook type center. Um, he's a you know he's like a Lamarcus Aldridge, but seven three. Um, you're gonna get it high post. He's gonna face you up. He's even gonna pull up on you, or he's gonna use his quickness to get by you and draw fouls. Um, and then he can stretch it out to the three. Um, and you're gonna run out there and guard him there um, because he's proven that he can he can pull up from 30 feet. So I, I think the plan is going next year to run the offense through him um, with less Bradley Beal kind of having to be the initiator of everything. Um, you know, bring the ball up with the KP at the high post and kind of run, you know, DHOs and, and your offense out of that. Yeah, I agree. And, and I think that's something that we're all kind of looking forward to a little bit as well. Maybe give him a little bit more. Off-ball action, maybe get him moving back door for some easy baskets at the rim. Just kind of make things easier for Brad, make things open up for him. Because I think we all agree that he's probably not the number one player on a championship team. But if Chris Stapps and Brad are kind of sharing <clears throat> 1A and 1B, and then you put proper role players around it, I mean, you can at least be like a, a second round, maybe like a threat to get to the Eastern Conference Finals type team with the right coaching. You know, I don't think that's out of the you know, out of the realm of possibilities here. But um, anything else you want to touch on KP before we move on to Beal? Yeah, I just I just hope they bubble wrap him this summer. He can stay healthy. Um, if you get 70 games out of him, and uh, obviously Bradley Beal has to get back to all-NBA form, um, I think you got something. I think so, too. You know, you make the right upgrades on the wing over the offseason. You know, you bring in a point guard that makes sense. Uh, you know, I mean, why can't this team compete for the second round next year? You know, I mean, and I know Wizards fans are like, well, that's so boring. Well, compared to what we've been doing the past three or four years, which is not fun, I would take three years of going into three years in a row of going to the second round. I mean, I, I would. I, the, 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 I feel like with NBA Twitter and just sports Twitter in general, if you're not competing a championship, you should blow it up and rebuild. Sports would not be fun in any way, shape, or form if that were the case. There would be three yeah, or let's four make teams. The NBA eight teams <laughs> yeah, let's just make the NBA six teams and, and forget about everybody else. Just make the right. NBA six teams. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, and it, you know, it's, it's, it's fun making the playoffs. You know, the, it's fun to, to watch competitive basketball in April where – like, even if you were to tell us in 2014 that we would have lost to the Pacers in the second round, would we still have wanted them to do it? Hell yeah. If you would have told us that yeah. in 2017 we were going to lose to the Celtics in seven in the second round, would we have still taken it? Probably. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, again, I was I was in New Orleans for that for the Pelicans game four versus the Suns. They're probably they might lose round one. They're definitely gonna lose probably round two if they make it. You're not gonna sit up here and tell me that 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 city would rather be winning 10, 20 games, uh, counting lottery balls. Like nobody wants to do that, man. Like that's like that's not a guarantee for anything. Because how many years have the Kings been picking top ten in the damn draft? And what has that gotten them? Nothing. So again, like. I, like I say, if if the Wizards could find a way to 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 build some identity, a culture of sustained winning at a decent level, I think that's a plus. And then you build off of that, man. Um, but this just this whole oh, if you don't win a championship, blow it up. I mean, this is this is just dumb to me. Yeah, I mean, I mean, even if if they want to say, well, we're not saying we're a championship, we're just saying like be really good. Okay, so. It's like, well, what's the bar then for you in terms of being competitive? Because if if the Brooklyn Nets are a first-round exit, they got swept in the first round. Should the Brooklyn Nets be rebuilding? I mean, where does the line draw? The Atlanta Hawks, should they be rebuilding? You know? It's like... That was was analytics Twitter darling last year, the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, So, yeah, I don't see much talk about them now. (laughs) Um... Bradley Beal, I feel like we really don't have to spend too much time on him. I mean, here's the, the quick dose of reality for those who don't already know. Uh, he's going to take the money. He's going to be on the team. Uh, he did have a very disappointing season. You know, I won't lie. And whether that was because of some of the, the chemistry issues, um, he was playing with an injury for a little bit. Uh, shooting was not great, and that's something that I, I feel like he really needs to to get back to. But I also think we need to kind of accept that I think that the the best three point shooting we're going to get from Bradley Beal here on out is about average. I don't think that we're ever going to see him get to thirty eight, thirty nine percent again. I mean, I feel like that's just kind of unrealistic. I think next season, realistically, you're kind of hoping for like maybe thirty six, and that's I think kind of where the bar needs to be. Uh, but you know, still a great score of the basketball. Um, not, not, not the guy ideally that you want at the top of your roster, but this is what happens when you can't draft. So this is the, the bed that the wizards have made themselves and they're going to have to lie in it. And but for better or worse, Bradley Beal is going to be on this roster next year. Yeah, for sure. And you know, uh, bad season after having seven straight seasons where he improved every season. Um, for me, it's like, is it is it is this year an indicative of who he's going to be the rest of his career, or is this year a blip in um, a career? Like I said, where the previous seven seasons he got better every season, um, and I think it's a lot of reasons for that. Like, I, you know, new coach, new role. Like this was supposed to be the year where he shot less, facilitated more, um, which he did, but it just looked clunky. Um, you know, they, they tried to run the point bill thing and by first it was by, you know, style and then it was more by necessity because Dinwiddie looked horrible. I think they figured that out early that Dinwiddie wasn't the point guard they really needed. So then they just they just let Brad do it. Um, and I think that kind of took him out of his scoring mantra. Um, and then you got a new coach in there. You learn a new system, new players. I mean, how many new players we had this year? Six, six new players. So all this roster turnover, new role, new coach, then the injuries, I just think, you know, um, it was just a bad year for dude. So I, I'm hoping uh, – he, he seems to know what he needs to work on. Obviously, the three-point shooting. He's got to get back to 
not even necessarily like 40%, but you can't you can't shoot 32% on wide open threes, man. Or or low 30% on catch and shoot threes. Like that number has to be better. Yeah. Period point blank. Um and I think it can be with with a better system in place that kind of runs some things where he doesn't have to be the primary initiator. Like again, if if Kuzma can keep trending upward with his playmaking, KP is a guy you can run offense through out of that high post. I think that opens the floor up for Bradley Beal to get off the ball more. Um, and if you can do that, then you get more open shots. Um, and, and more open shots means better percentages in my mind. So, you know, yeah, and that's theory. what I'm hoping. In theory. But if it's going to be everything, Bradley Beal, dribble the ball up, go one on, you know, one on four, one on five every time, pick and roll, then the percentages are going to be what they are, what they have been. You know, thirty four percent, thirty five percent or lower. And look, we could sit here and we could hammer Beal for like fifteen, twenty minutes. But and I know like the, there's going to be some like the the anti Beelers listening to this. Oh, look at them! They're not even criticizing Beal. It has nothing to do with not wanting to criticize him. I mean, we we criticize him plenty during the season, but the reality is he's far from the issue. With this basketball team, if you're looking more towards the issue, we're going to get to that here in a second. Um, but I, the reality also is he's just not going anywhere. I mean, there's no way he's turning down this money. The Wizards are going to pay him, and he's going to be on the roster. And if you want to go sit in a corner and cry because of it, go ahead. Uh, there are there are still ways that you can improve and be a competitive team around that contract. People act like he's going to be making like $100 million a year. Like, what are we talking about? I, I just think you know we're 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 scoring fan break, fan base from the John Wall and Gilbert Arenas contracts, right? Because they signed those deals and then they suffered catastrophic injuries. Or in Gil's case, he suffered a catastrophic injury and then they still paid him the money. Um, <laughs> well, a Poland still paid him the money, but it, I, I just feel like with, with Bill, I don't feel like it's going to turn into that type of contract. Of course, he's not worth a supermax, right? It's only like seven, eight guys that are worth that. Um, and But I don't think it's a situation where he's going to get this money and then he's going to suffer a major injury or be a guy that doesn't take care of his body in the offseason. Um, and you're just going to be kind of stuck with it. Like, I feel like he's going to be an all-star level player. Um, and when you feel like you need to move it, you'll be able to do so and recoup assets for right. it. Um, I, I don't see it turning into a John Wall or or a, you know Gilbert Arenas type situation where you end up having to salary dump him. Um, I just don't see that see it being that way. So for me, it's just kind of like he's going to get the money. He's going to play at a certain at an all star level. For me, the question is, what are you putting around him to kind of elevate your win loss? Uh, because we know he's not a Giannis. Luca level player, so you're gonna have to supplement that around him, which means you're gonna have to find guys in the second round. You're gonna have to find undrafted free agents that can produce. Your top ten picks are gonna have to be starter level guys at, at minimum, just like the Miami Heat do when they're able to pay a old ass Kyle Lowry thirty million dollars. Jimmy Butler is gonna be making fifty million dollars at age thirty five, thirty six, like. They can get away with that because they find a Max Strauss. They find a Duncan Robinson. 
You know, they find these guys and they're paying them pennies and they overperform their contracts. So if you're not able to do that, then it's not going to matter. Right. And, and I know the anti-Beelers listening are like, oh, look at how much you have to do to, to, to make sure a Bradley Beal team works. He's going to be making so much money we're talking about. You have to go find guys in the second round and undrafted. Like, this is nothing uncommon for teams that are competitive. I, I was telling you before we got on here, I mean, go to any team right now that's still left in the playoffs and go find some guys that weren't second-round picks or um, undrafted. If you find a team full of first-round picks and guys that are making 10-plus million and are doing it efficiently, please let me know who that team is. I mean, the the Wolves got... I don't think Jared Vanderbilt was a first-round pick, right? I mean, I think he was a second-round pick, or he was undrafted. I forget. I think he was low. I think he was low first round. I want to say he might have been a low first-round pick. Yeah. Either way, I mean, we'd be lucky if we had a late first-round pick and he turned out to be decent anyway. But the, the point I'm trying to make here is like, you, you got to be able to find talent throughout the draft, and what when you're only. The, the only like good thing we can say about you in the draft is you take a safe player in the first round who doesn't amount to anything significant in the league. I mean, that doesn't really speak a whole lot about you, in my opinion. I mean, look at Jose Alvarado, Herb Jones on the Pelicans. Like you mentioned with the Miami Heat with Max Struess, they got um, uh, Omar Yurtseven. They got um, Duncan Robinson. They got uh, Gabe. Was Gabe Vincent a first-round pick? Undrafted. Undrafted. Well, there you go. So off the street, man. So we can do this with with multiple teams. It's not like there's just this one specific instant. I mean, there's again plenty of competitive teams around the league are going to have guys that are either second round picks or undrafted. I mean, Austin Reeves on the Lakers. Lakers are a terrible team. Austin Reeves is not one of their biggest problems. Uh, there's guys you can find. You got to know how to evaluate talent. Come away in the second round with someone who won Conference Defensive Player of the Year. Come away with the guy who shot around 40% at the, the college and high school level. You know, you, you, th- th- this really isn't hard. And I'm not trying to say that, like, it, it's, it's easy. But when there's numbers to look at ahead of you and you come away drafting Admiral Schofield and Cassius Winston, it leaves me questioning your talent evaluation process uh, a little bit. Isaiah Todd, who's two years away from being two years away, and you could have had Herb Jones. You now, could have I'll had say that, Like, those uh, guys were right there. I'll say this though and I I was listening to did you listen to that Believe in Wizards podcast that they recently did with um, Oz, Kevin and uh, and Matt I haven't yet I haven't yet so to their credit with guys that they typically take in the second round they wanted to take a guy with some upside you know has legit potential has legit length size at the NBA level you know that's fine with me you could do worse but it's more of the, the, the Cassius Winston, um, you know, who's like 5'11", 6 foot, and then Admiral Schofield, who's a 6'5", center. You know, it's, it's those types of picks that, that leave me cringing a little bit. Um, now, I think Admiral Schofield, they plan on kind of being a Grant Williams-type player. And, um, you know, shout out to Boston for making him into that sort of guy. But there were a lot of people that were just like, this is not a good draft pick. And especially with Cassius Winston. So going forward, it would be nice to see them use their second-round picks properly, maybe do some better evaluation for the UDFAs. But we sort of transitioned even into Tommy now. We didn't even mean to do that. Yeah, but I mean, I'm just looking at it like, uh, for me, 
when I'm when I'm looking at a second round pick, I want a sure thing like 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 a Draymond Green, you know, defensive player of the year type, you know. And the only reason they're not first round players is because they're 22, 23, 24. Like Ayo DeSumo was an AP All-American, man, as a 6'5 point guard. Like, it wasn't like he was some raw dude, you know, (laughs) you know, that barely got by in college and he dropped to the second round. Like, the dude could play. Like, he had a proven skill set and you kind of went, you know, raw project. And then that, that's coupled with you trading the 22nd pick for Aaron Holiday to move back and then Aaron Holiday not even on your roster anymore. So it's just it was just a bad move, right? Like, I think I think it's fair to say that. Like, it was a bad move. You could have and, – and I know they were saying that the, they were probably going to take Isaiah Todd at 22. That would have been a bad move too. <laughs> like, yeah. So it's just like – At some point, man, like we have to judge this guy, this front office on the result, man. Like the result is the result. And I keep looking at all these other teams that's finding talent that isn't obvious. And we keep making it like it's rocket science to do it here. Um, And at some point, like, dude, either you're good at your job or you're not. And that's going to that's going to bear out in the results on the floor. Right. Like the results is what it comes down to at the end of the day. And everyone could say, well, you guys weren't mad about this pick at the time or whatever. Like, no, genius. It's not my job to sit down and look at hours of tape and and go to the scouting combine and all this other stuff to get info on draft prospects. I'm not going to sit down and watch hours of tape and not get paid for it like a goofball. But the, the, the point here is like, and again, this kind of goes back to like the excuses crowd too a little bit where it's like i feel like we're kind of in the middle because that there are some legit reasons as to why we aren't good like we're not just going to crap out 50 wins tomorrow but at the same time like your timeline is sort of getting sped up a little bit here because we've been seeing now your front office run stuff for a few seasons now and we haven't gotten any better like like we can use the injury excuse covid excuse all we want based on the win-loss margin over the past however many seasons now, it really hasn't gotten that much better. And if you really want to look at it, we got worse this year after losing Russell Westbrook. That's not good because Russell Westbrook is not a very good player anymore. So, and this goes back to drafting. If your draft picks were better, then he played the whole season, Rui ended the season, we should probably be a little bit better if our draft picks were so good. And that's just the first round picks. We don't. We can't even get started on the second round ones because they're useless. And I mean that with all respect to the young fellas. It's not your fault you were drafted by an idiot or by someone who can't evaluate draft talent. But I mean, it's, it's really this simple. I, when's the last first round pick that wasn't top three that made it to a second contract here? Yawn. Was it Otto? And that turned out to be a disaster. Otto was right? top three, though. Well, yeah, and he was top three, right? So after that, you got what? Uh, Troy Brown. You got because we did We didn't pay Ubre, right? Because we traded Ubre oh. before we had to pay him, right? You traded Ubre for a wash, Trevor Reason, and and no picks. So he didn't make it to a second contract here. Troy Brown Jr. was a bust. He didn't make it to a second round second contract. Um. Is it going to make a second Rui. contract anywhere, by the way? Right. And now we're on Rui Denny 
and we got Kispert, right? Are they going to make it to a second contract here? Probably because that to I mean, me is probably not. That to me tells me if the pick was successful. If your top ten picks, your first round picks can't make it to second contracts, then it wasn't a successful pick unless you were able to trade them all for additional firsts. You know, like how like how the Hawks were able to flip Cam Reddish for another first round pick, right? They got proactive about it. But if you get to the point where you're just trading off your drafted first round picks for trash vets or salary dumps, well, that's a bust of a pick for you. That it didn't help you do anything. But the draft picks, you really have to evaluate Tommy Honor starting from the um, start, starting with the Rui draft because he tried doing what he could with the with the Jerome Robinsons of the world, the, the Troy Browns of the world. Inevitably, they didn't work. That's not Tommy's fault. This isn't what we're here to criticize Tommy for. But but his own draft picks, the the, the Ruiz, the Denny's, it's like it, it's fool's gold improvement to me because you can look at different areas and say where they've improved. But we're gonna have Kevin Broom on next week, and he's gonna tell us how they suck. And to be honest, I'm probably gonna agree with him mostly on some of that stuff. So you know, I mean, it's if they were that much better. Even with guys in and out of the lineup because of injuries, COVID, we should have been a lot more competitive than we were. Now, you can look at some of that and blame it on coaching. You can do the lame excuse route and blame Howell Neto and Thomas Bryant. If you want to go that route, fine. But the, the young players, large in part, need to play better than they have so far. And I don't think that it's criminal to say that. Now, they're not the, the reason that we're bad. That's not what I'm trying to say. But when you're a top eight, top or top ten pick, you know we're talking about two number nine picks here, and then the solid role player in Corey Kispert. Now, in all fairness, I think Corey Kispert is what he is. Now he makes his three point shots at a better clip next season. He has, I think, really good value for for what we picked at fifteen. But the other two, they've got to show a lot more than what they've shown us so far. Yeah, totally agree. I mean, I'm I'm just. Think back, and I know the 2018, I know Troy Brown wasn't Tommy pick, but like, what if that's Robert Williams? And then the Rui pick, what if that's Tyler Hero? And then the Denny pick, what if that's Tyrese Halliburton? We're looking at the Wizards totally different right now as far as their, their outlook going forward. But I just think, you know, it's a situation where, again, it's results-based, man. Like, <laughs> your top 10 picks have to be at least starter level. And right now, your your last two top 10 picks look like bench players. They're bench players. Um, yes. And that's not good when you don't hit on undrafted guys. You don't hit on second-round guys. So it, it kind of just leaves you in – it leaves you stuck in mud. And, and I get Tommy had to kind of get us out of the mud you know, with all the mistakes Ernie made, even though he was a part of some of those. Um, you know, so the whole Thomas Bryans, the Jerome Robinsons, the Isaac Bongas, you know, that was just him throwing shit at the wall to see what, it, see what would stick. Um, and now we're kind of at a point where you got like some real NBA talent on your team. And now you're trying to actually identify guys that fit around what you have at the top of your roster. But these top 10 picks, man, they got to hit. Like you cannot... Draft a guy top ten and they're a bench player. Like it's just not. That's just you're gonna be stuck in mud forever. I don't care who's at the top of your roster. It could be Giannis, Luca, whoever the hell. 
You draft a guy top 10, he got to be a starter for you, man. Period. Tommy, Tommy Shepard, and I said this on Twitter too, Tommy Shepard is like the, it's like fool's gold improvement for us. Where it's like we make a move and we feel like we improve compared to what we had. And that may be true. But if there's still a list of 200 options and the option that we just got on my personal list is like 197 out of 200, you're really not improving that much. Like, would you rather have Dinwiddie at 16, 17 mil or Russ at 45? Well, the answer is pretty clear, but that doesn't mean that you're getting that much better. I'd rather have neither because they're not good at basketball. <laughs> right. Like, but, and, yeah. <laughs> And, and yeah, and you're right. And it's kind of like if you've been drafting busts with your picks, right? And then you get a GM that comes in and they draft a rotation player, player with their top ten picks. That's an improvement, but you're still stuck in mud. Like you need to right. hit, you need to get, you need to find the Tyrese Halliburton, the Sadiq Bay, the Tyler Hero, uh, the Tyrese Maxey. You have to find that. And if you don't, you're gonna be stuck in mud. It's just gonna be. Instead of a 25-win mud, it's going to be a 35-win mud. Right, because then he's just going to, well, we've added a lot of quality young players throughout the years in the draft. Well, number one, I'd ask you to define the quality. And number two, I would say if they don't move the needle for you and you've had four or five cracks at it. Now, I think this is going to be his, what draft is this going to be for him? His, his fourth draft. If you come away through, fourth, through four drafts, and you can't find one significant player with four picks in the top 15, three in the top 10, hopefully, that and you can't find a significant starter and franchise centerpiece from that, you're not a very good talent evaluator. It's that simple. It's really that simple. Like, four top 15 picks and you can't find one starter? That's not a great GM. I'm sorry. That's like average below average, man. I mean, it's really, it's really that simple. And look, we, we can we can live in the in the Rui Hachimura game. What was it? Game four against Tobias Harris. We can look at plenty of Denny Obvious games where he's hit three three pointers. We can talk about those all we want, but they're not moving the needle. And when you have guys that don't move the needle on a consistent basis, they're not good draft picks. And you can uh, you can paint that picture, cut it up however you want. That's just cut dry to the point. They're not good draft picks if they don't move the needle for you when you pick that high. Yeah, when you pick that high. Now, if they were second-round picks and they turn into rotation players, oh, well, then that's awesome, right? Um, but not top 10 picks. I'm sorry. You're a top 10 pick. You need to be a starter. Period. Like, at least by year three. By year three, you need to be a starter, man. Like, I, I, I period, man. Like, it, it's just, I was, it's just not, it, it's a failure. It's not a bust pick. Like, I don't want to make it seem like I'm coming out on these guys like they're going to be a bust. It's, you know, Troy Brown Jr. to me is a bust, right? Um, but, but yeah, if you, if you, you're drafted top 10, you need to be a starter, man. Like, year three, year four, you're still a guy that's got to come off the bench, and then you're coming off the bench. I guess if you're coming off the bench, you're like sixth man of the year, like a Tyler Hero or George Clarkston type of player, Karis LeVert, guys who impact the game scoring off the bench. But you're just kind of like the eighth, seventh, eighth man off the bench as a top ten pick. I'm sorry. That's not that's not a hit. That's not a hit. That's, that's average 
below average GMing. So here's a sad little picture of how we can view Tommy Shepard. And there were a lot of people that said this wasn't a good move to start with. There were a lot of people that said he was Ernie Jr. And while I don't think that's true, I overall get what you people were trying to say. If he flames out, I will apologize for ever saying anything nice uh, in terms of basketball-related activities. And then he will make a trade to kind of get himself out of it. But I, and I it would be say, a good trade. But it, it was like you, you, you're fixing what you broke. But Tommy's not going to trade like 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 I'm talking like we traded Davis Bertans and Spencer Dinwiddie for Chris Tapps Porzingis Tom, or Ernie yeah. traded Andrew Nicholson and a first round pick to to get off it like you know what I'm saying it's love it's yeah. the same concept yeah, it but it's a little yeah. different yeah it's definitely different like like Tommy's not going to give up first round picks to get out of the mud but he's going to find a clever way to do it without sacrificing the future so in that sense he's better. But ultimately, again, you go from being uh, <laughs> you go from twenty five wins stuck in the mud to thirty five wins stuck in the mud. It's an upgrade, but it's still you're in the mud, right? Like at some point, like again, all right, we had a bottom five GM. Now we have, I don't know, the the nineteenth twentieth best GM, right? Like that's you're still <laughs> you're still not upper echelon, so. You know, what are we doing? Uh, and it just sucks, man, because it's like any the, the, the use the, the, the used car salesman pitch, whatever you want to call it, is out the window for me at this point. I, I'm not listening to a word this guy says. If he's talking about characteristics of draft prospects or whatever, then I'll listen. But he's a guy that'll try to sell you every good point, but will leave out all the bads and he'll say, well, we have to improve here. We have to improve in this area. That's great, dude. You've been working on this roster for three or four off-seasons now, and you've been with this team for a lot longer, so you should know more than any outsider on what we've needed for a long time. Why haven't you fixed it? And it's like, what is he going to do? But, well, we haven't had enough three-point shooting and enough defense. Well, Tommy, you've been working on this team for three years now. Why haven't you brought guys in that do that? Well, we had a rookie head coach. Is it, yeah. is it, we drafted or we hired a rookie head coach. You're the one who hired him. I mean, I, I don't know what else to say. You had plenty of different opportunities it, it to go and forever to do it. It took forever to do it. Took forever to do it and didn't give him veteran staff. So, again, like it all starts there for me. Like, uh, you know, all the talk about the players, top of the roster, all of that stuff is just a waste of time. Like, no matter what decision they make going forward regarding uh, Bill, KP, all of those guys, like to me, it's going it's going to start and stop with the general manager, this front office. Like and until they make better offseason moves, better draft picks, it's never going to matter. Like they're going to be the same spot. We'll be here ten years from now talking about how the Wizards haven't won fifty games in fifty years. But uh, this offseason, there's going to be no, this is real GMing tweets for me or anything like that. Because until we start winning games and we see tangible results and we are consistently in the top six of the standings throughout the year, then I don't care about a word that this guy has to say because he he treats us all like we're idiots or something and that we're not going to pick up on this stuff. And he's kind of smart with some reporters sometimes for asking basic questions that he won't even answer. It's just... 
it's frustrating. And he's a nice guy. I'm, I'm sure he's a great dude. But th- th- we have to start seeing results this year. I'm tired of going to an offseason where it's like, we're going to have the ability to improve. we got to do this and that. And then we line up in September and October after hearing him talk, and we think that we're going to be in for a good season, only to find out that we're the usual 9th, 10th, 11th like we usually are. So this is the season. I, I don't care if Brad misses this whole next season. You people better have a plan to go out there and be better because if this is bad next season, I'm not going to be calling for Wes's job, even though I might. I'm not going to be calling for a rebuild, but I'm going to be calling for Tommy Shepard's job because at the end of the day, the, the how the roster is constructed, who's employed on the staff, that's up to you. So it has to be better this next season or else he's going to need to be gone. Yeah, it's, it's plain and simple for me. Like, I, I think in any scenario where I, I feel like him and Beal are tethered. Like, I feel like if Beal go, I think Tommy needs to go. Um, yeah, I agree. You know, I, I feel like, I feel like if we doing a rebuild, I think they need to do it across the board. Like, yep. Boom. Yep. Roll it all the way up. Um, because you know what? Over. A new GM isn't going to try doubling down on these bad first round picks that we've made over the past like three years. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and I don't want to say bad. I would just say underwhelming. I don't want to say bad because there's a difference between Rui Denny, pick 10th, and, and Troy Brown Jr., right? Or right. or Chris Singleton or Jan Vesley, right? Like, sure. again, sure. they're not they're not busts. They're just not needle movers. And for a right. team that lacks for a team that lacks a Giannis Luca at the top of their roster. You have to your your top ten picks have to be needle movers. They have yep. to be. Yeah. Yep. Agree. Well, sad depressing talk to end off with Tommy Shepard, but I feel like that's a conversation that needs to be had because I feel like if you ask Wizards Twitter generally speaking how they feel on Tommy Shepard, I think the vibe is pretty good. But what we have to start looking at is the, the tangible results on a year in and year out basis. And if you look at that pattern over the past three years, again, you can throw out whatever excuse you want to throw out. If you want to go with the COVID and the injury stuff, which literally any team, any year can deal with, then you go ahead and do that. and You can be a part of that loser mentality. For me, I, I don't buy it because it just had like, people act like, like Tommy acts like we're the only team that has to deal with this stuff, even though he's like, and we're not the only team that has to go through it. Okay, then why do you use it as an excuse on a consistent basis? Like it, it just doesn't add up to me. Um, so, I mean, it, it's yeah, got to change. I, I, I would like to see, I would like to see his off season and draft moves match would come out of his mouth. Cause I remember when he was talking about the team getting bouncy and they signed Robin Lopez in the off season. Right. And, yeah. Yeah. you know, like, it's like, like, what, <laughs> you know, and then, then recently, you know, his, his, his exit interview, he talked about the team. You know, he was asked about what he wanted the identity to be, and he said, you know, a, a fast-paced defensive team. And I'm like, you do realize y'all were bottom five in pace all year, right? Like, and a bottom five your head, yeah, and your head coach has repeatedly talked about slowing pace to be able to manage to get better possessions offensively. So, like, I'm just kind of like, y'all not on the same page because. If you're talking about getting, you know, better defensively, being a fast-paced transition team, then that's not this roster. Like, I, and it, it, like I'm just like, what, what are we doing? Like, I, I just, what are we doing? I want to see the the talent that he brings in match the words that come out of his mouth. 
Um, how how do you take forever to hire a coach and you still end up not disagree or you still end up not agreeing on stuff like? Yeah. <sighs> it's a, it's a PR move. Tommy's about the good PR. So and you know what that, that that's good for you, dude. You're better off on what the the Sacramento Kings, Oklahoma City Thunders of the world. You know that the Wizards have been treated like a small market team for a long time. And we we should not be treated like a small market team. We should be getting better free agents. We should be drafting better. And we should be winning more than what we are and what we have been for the past however many years now. If you're not the guy to get us there, then we need to make a change. But again, it, it's it's got to be this year. We got to start seeing tangible. I mean, at minimum, for me to be okay with, I mean, we have to be flirting with like six or seven this year minimum. I mean, that, that that's what I'm looking at. If we're like eight, nine, you know, lower than that. He's got to go. Yeah. Like again, the bar, the bar can't be any longer just better better than Ernie Grunfeld. Um, that can't be the bar anymore. And, and honestly, he ain't even reached that bar because at least at least Ernie had the forty nine win season, <laughs> right? Like <laughs> we take a forty nine win season right now, right? So like. He gonna have to he gonna have to show something, man. Like this is a big, big off season. This is just a bigger off season for him, I think, as it is for Bradley Beal, for KP, for for you know for Wes. Like to me, that's where the buck stops. It's with the front office, and he got to he got to do better, man. Ernie Grunfeld may not have been that great of a GM, but and you can say, well, this is because he made Wall and Beal, which are easy picks. I'm not disagreeing with that, but. You know, how many times did Ernie make the playoffs with, with some of those teams? You know, I mean, and it wasn't great, but that's still much of what we've done now. I mean, the most we've done was a gentleman sweep from the Sixers last year where Russell Westbrook is your second best player. Like, that doesn't, just doesn't speak a lot. Now, now, we're not, like, the worst. Like, again, even when we went to the bubble, people acted like that year we had the worst roster of all time, and we still, still ended up going to the bubble. That wasn't for everyone. We were the only team outside of the top eight to – to be invited to go. And that was a team that started Mo Wagner. So, and Jerome Robinson, I mean, you know, but again, it's that like, it's that level of mediocrity where it's like, okay, this is great. We aren't the worst team in the league. We get that. But can we try to be one of the best now? Maybe, you know, can we have a little bit of bigger aspirations again, instead of just being better than the last regime? Because, and even then, and like you said, I mean, you, you can't even say they've done that. You know, maybe from being a narcissist and a dick standpoint, maybe a little bit, you know, they've revamped monumental basketball and stuff, and they love to shove that down our face uh, or down our throat and the uh, and, and the go-go and the, the Mystics and the, the Wizards district gaming and all that other stuff. That's great, but I'm, I'm here to hear you talk because I want to hear you talk about the Wizards, but you don't want to talk about the Wizards because you haven't gotten them better. So, you know, I mean, it's not for me anymore. It's just not. You know, if, if he makes a trade for DeJounte Murray this offseason, am I going to sit up there and say this is real GMing? No, I'm not going to. I'm going to be excited about it, but I want to see you win basketball games. And until this team wins basketball games, I have about zero faith in anything that this front office is doing. And I hate to say that, but that's just where I'm at with it. Yep, totally agree. All right. Anything else you want to get into before we... Cut this one off. This is uh, end of our season two. I think we we've, we've been doing this longer for two seasons, but um, th- th- we're just going to call this season two. And season three will be next episode where we start looking ahead, and we can try and look at more 
positive things and looking how we can upgrade this team in the offseason. But anything you want to touch on from this past season, anything you missed today that we didn't get to talk about, anything you got? Nope. I pretty much got it all out. All right. Well, everyone, thanks for listening. Uh, just as a reminder, again, you know, if you aren't subscribed, please make sure that you are. It really helps out the show. Leave a comment and leave a review. The reviews also really help. I think we have seven so far on Apple Podcasts or my Apple users out there. Please leave us a review and let us know how you think we do. But next episode, we are probably going to have Kevin Brumon to talk some wizard hoops with us. So definitely excited for that. He's definitely more of a numbers analytics guy and, um, I tend not to agree with a lot of this stuff, but over like the past season or so, I've really come around to it a lot more. And I mean, the, the, the results and the win loss and the production kind of just side with, with, um, his formulas and all that a little bit more. And I'm sure we're, I- I'm excited to have him come on and preach to us about how bad we are, because if you were to come on here and tell us how good we are, I mean, it, it really wouldn't. I mean, that just wouldn't be true. So I'm definitely excited for him to come on. Yeah, I mean, that's all. Always looking for a good time, sonny, that's just my first name Don't holler about your father incentive, it's just a birthday And I want it for repeating, a cycle would be the worst way Them hoes always calling my number like it's a jersey Them hoes always treating my Johnson like he a person No matter what could happen, what happened, and have a purpose Translate for you scratching the surface, motherfucker, I need my Payback, it's all for you